Stories. Welcome to Beyond Queer Stories, the podcast that gives voice to the queer community through the art of storytelling. So welcome everyone to Beyond Queer Stories. I'm your co-host Dawn and I have Patty with me today. Patty is a queer trans woman, endurance athlete, parent, and a late transitioner. She experienced all the privilege that came with being perceived as a cishet, white, upper-middle-class male, and she used that to shield herself from realizing her truth up until she couldn't anymore. Using her remaining privilege, she tries to speak out and make herself visible to others who are grappling with all sorts of transitions in life, not just trans folks. She feels that visibility of non-celebrity trans folks is as important as those celebs that are out, as we can show our stories that may be a bit more accessible to many more people who are coming to terms with their trans identities and what it will mean to be out. She also realizes that her voice is only one voice of many wide-ranging experiences before and after transition. Transgender people are not a monolith. They are cross-section of all types. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you here. So to kick us off, can you let us know what identities do you feel most influence your experiences? I have so many different identities, so they all play a really important part. I'm queer, which I mean, that goes through all of life. It's not just one aspect of your life. But and then the trans identity, obviously, I mean, that's a huge part of my life. But I'm also an endurance athlete. Mm. Um, I follow a plant-based diet. Um, and so, like, these are all pretty important identities to me, too. Like, there's certainly no one that I think is stronger than the others. So, I mean, but, like, of the main four, that's probably the four of them. Two of them are marginalized and two of them are just, at some level, lifestyle choice Mm -hmm. identity so you know I think that being a queer trans woman it it helps define everything else that I do Mm, yeah so those are a lot of really important intersections and I think kind of that statement of how this trans identity impacts everything else you do what ways I'm curious if or does it influence the other identities like being an endurance athlete and things that people wouldn't see connecting to a trans identity as much? Well, I think that part of it is that um, we're all just people. Mm. So there's, I know plenty of other trans uh, endurance athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I didn't even mention woman because that's like a, that's who I am. So I don't, almost don't even perceive that as an identity. But back to the other point, I think that, like I say, like you said in, in my intro, we're not a monolith. So like mm-hmm. queer and trans are overarching and larger themes. But there's, I think my Twitter bio says that too many adjectives to list. <laughs> and so, you know, there's too many identities. And, and we do, we pick these up. and mm-hmm. And I know that. You know, there's there's a like some folks that are more conservative push on identity politics or identities in general when they themselves have them. They may not admit that or they say it in a way that doesn't make it feel like an identity for them. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we have all these other things that we do. You know, there's there's all kinds of different ways that people do things and, and identify themselves. And, and so... 
those two, I think, are probably at the top of my list. Endurance athletics is really something that's helped me um, immeasurably throughout my life. Actually, not through my life. Through the last eight years, it seemed like a lifetime. But yeah, that, that really is something that has been important to me. So what kind of endurance athletics do you do? So this, I, I haven't done that much this year endurance-wise. I, I did a, I've done a couple half marathons already this year, um, and it's February. Um, That's very true in the last <laughs> yeah, couple months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did one a couple weeks ago, and I, did, I, I just ran a half marathon in the snow yesterday. Um, on the trails, no less. So that's endurance. Yeah, um, but I've done multiple Ironman, Iron Distance races um, for triathlon, about a half dozen marathons. Um, I've done a single ultra marathon, um, and then uh, I know I'm going to do more. And then last, uh, not last summer, the summer of 2018, I ran across the Rocky Mountains. Oh wow! Um, over a six day stage race. Um, it wasn't really a race for me. It was an event for me. Yeah. Um, but they still call it a, a race. Um, it's called Trans Rockies Run, which is quite ironic. But um, it's not a, having anything to do with being trans. It has to do with the word trans, which means cross or yes. crossing, and yes. the Rockies. So, so cool. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, uh, irony. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was wonderful. It really, it really helped me at a time when I really needed to know that people saw me. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I just was myself and I didn't need other explanation uh, Mm -hmm. for who I was, um, that I could just be in the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, over a week, I got to know a lot of people really well. And um, through that process, I I felt more at ease with myself. because you're away from your phone for the most part and you're away from the world and you're in this little group of people. There was 350 total runners, 250 of us ran for the whole six days. And then there were all the support people mm-hmm. and the volunteers who were all wonderful. I, I mean, I've, I still have friends from that event that we are in contact regularly. It's It was just it's like one of those coming of age moments for me as a as a trans person who's going through all those uncomfortable second adolescence and trying to learn ourselves and um, learn who we are and but we have all this other experience and wisdom that we're wrestling with too you know so it was was really it was unbelievable for me to do to be able to do that and and to get that experience and I know that the endurance athletics part of my life has been so, and maybe this is why I said it's been part of my life. Um, it's been so instrumental for me, both in transition, but for general life and for business or whatever job I have, uh, because it's so steeped in planning mm-hmm. um, and intermediate goal setting, mm-hmm. long range goal setting. Patience. I mean, all of the aspects mm-hmm. that make it maybe just for me, I, I need structure kind of formed around to help me keep my wits about me. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, it, it's really been a godsend for me to be able to have that over the last eight years, a really 
working on that aspect of like how I, I haven't been necessarily really good at it, but I've learned how to incorporate things from endurance athletics into the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I don't think had I started transition younger that I would have been able to have the patience that I now have partially because of training for an Ironman is uh, at least one year plan. Yeah. I mean, people, once you do it shorter, but you like you sign up the year before. So that's, to me, that starts your plan. You like set this mm-hmm. one year out. Right. And you have to get yourself to that day a year yeah. in advance. You can't go too fast because you'll hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't go too slow because then you won't be ready. It's, it really is. Um, and I've had some amazing coaches and um, that's been part of the planning process is finding a person that you can work with that understands you. And, you know, I had to, for Trans Rockies, I had to try and talk to a coach who is awesome, Jacob Jacob Puzzi, um, and I'm navigating all this, like, coming out part of my life, which mm. was really stressful. And I'm like, I have to come out to my coach mm. and because I have to tell him, like, you know, like, I don't eat meat, you know. So, like, for diet, if you're going to – like, I just want you to know that I'm I'm plant-based and that I don't – I'm not going to follow some of the things that you might have to say. I had a back injury, so I had to tell him that. And I'm like, and, 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 and I'm trans. Mm. <laughs> so I'm on hormone therapy. And so – you know, like my body doesn't work the same way, you know, and I'm tall. So, you know, I had to say that, you know, I had to say like, there's just all these different things that I wanted yeah. to make sure that he knew about. Um, but like I had to broach that being trans part too. Right. Yeah. So it's just yeah. kind of, just kind of adds extra complexity to life. Yeah. Well, kind of thinking about that, I feel like that's a very nice transition into your story for us today and how all of that came together for you. Well, my story's mostly on growing up a little bit. I mean, it's it's I, I have a I have a hundred stories. And so this is my like overall it's my overarching story. There's lots of potential for standalone. Um, little stories, but you know, it, it's just for me to to talk about how I got here. Growing up, I had a normalish childhood, if not a bit on the privileged side. Middle class upbringing here in the Chicago suburbs, through divorce and then eventual remarriage back to each other, my parent with my parents that ended up with me in California for high school. I did all the things after high school you're supposed to do. I went to college, I got married, I had kids, joined the country club, you know, everything that you're supposed to, quote unquote, do. Then just over four years ago, that semi-perfect life was turned upside down. See, during that perfect life, I was not the woman I am today. I grew up and lived my life in a different gender. When my life turned upside down those four years ago, I was able to, or had forced on me, ways to put into words all the experiences that I was unable to figure out how to talk about or felt shame about. And that is scary. That level of self-awareness of our identity or identities can reopen all those fears and negative experiences. But before I get any further along, I need to say a quick thing. My experience is my own experience, and it is unique to me. I share many threads with others going through struggles to understand their gender identity or sexual orientation, but my story is just that. It's mine alone. So now back to it. 
So I'm turning 46 and I'm grappling with the biggest life change ever. I sat in my therapist's office week after week, struggling to say what I knew was in my head and what my truth was. And this was in a safe space with someone who was trained to do this. I still couldn't say what I needed to say. But I'm going to rewind a bit, which is what I was able to do in therapy. I was able to talk about my experiences with gender growing up, with my thoughts about transforming in a rotating door, something I'd seen in a sci-fi movie. I talked with my therapist about certain movies in which people switched bodies and how that made me feel. I talked to her about wearing my mom's clothes, and I have a funny sub-story to that. I used to wear my mom's bra, and I used to stuff it, and it didn't just it just didn't feel right. So in order to make it feel better, I decided I was going to put some water in a plastic bag, and that's how I was going to stuff it. But I was absolutely paranoid that the Ziploc would break, and I would have to deal with a, now a wet bra. So I put it in two bags because I wasn't going to settle. Um, and I figured that that was safe. But I hadn't ever told that story to anybody until I got into my therapist's office. I talked to her about how I had these feelings and that they would come on like a force of nature. And the shame I would feel was so strong that I was able to bury them down as quickly as I came. And all this happened at a time before the internet, these feelings and these this understanding throughout my childhood. I'd heard of Renee Richards and Christine Jorgensen. I don't know how. I just know. Maybe they were on TV. I know that there was a story on 60 Minutes once. Or in a newspaper or in a book. But I had really no one to look to. No language on how to say who I was. And the societal shame surrounding what it meant to be someone like me. Finally, in therapy, I was able to shed enough shame to realize and say that I'm a woman, and I've always been a woman. So frankly speaking, that's nothing earth-shattering. Some people have told me I'm inspirational or brave, but I was just trying to do what I could to stop the noise in my head. As I go through this whole process, I start to grow, and as I grow, I realize that there's a reason for this being a part of my life. I had moved back to Chicago after decades in Southern California. I partially moved back for a job in the family business that had made my life so easy, but also to be in a place that no one knew me so that I could transition and hide in my anonymity in a big city. But that's not what I'm supposed to do. Obviously, I'm on a podcast. I am called to be visible. And as I've gone through the process over the last four years of shedding the shame and identity that I used as a cover, I started venturing out. I mean, it's a pretty safe place to be queer in general. I started making friends and telling them my story. I finally quit my job. And then a week later, I came out to my parents and my sister, and I lost them. But I gained a lot more courage. I stuck my neck out, came out to my entire social media world and and others, and somehow ended up on the front page of Crane's Chicago business. With that visibility, I now had others who were reaching out to me for guidance and support, people who are hiding, people who are not out, and people who are out as well. 
The rest of my story is still being written, but I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not ashamed of who I am. For me, being a proudly out queer trans woman is a gift. I have leaned into the discomfort because that's where we grow. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing all of that with us. And I picture, like you were saying, this one side of invisibility and and going through something like losing family because of identity and then being on the cover of Cranes. And then all of a sudden, that's super, super visible. What was it like seeing your own face in such a visible way like that attached to your identity? Well, the story itself was about how difficult it is for queer people. And I use queer instead of LGBTQ sometimes just because it's Mm -hmm. easier for me to say and Mm -hmm. and it encompasses all aspects of – because there's a lot of alphabet Mm -hmm. after that. It was about that difficulty that people have feeling comfortable enough with where they work, which is where we spend a tremendous amount of our waking time during – our lives, that they don't feel comfortable enough to be themselves there. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, that was not the entire driving force for me to leave my job with my family business. I mean, I worked for my dad. I, I've done that right from college. And I loved my job most of the time. I mean, I'm a human. But for me, it, there wasn't, I didn't see a path. And so I understand like why it's important for some people to not I mean I'm in a position where I guess am I more at risk for coming out at work or less at risk but I just didn't feel I could do it so Mm -hmm. and so then I see myself on the cover I'm like I mean I mean in our I didn't expect that I was going to be on the cover until I was being interviewed for the story and they she told me that they were sending a photographer over I was a little paralyzed um when it came out, I was obviously very happy. Went out and bought a couple. Still have them. I don't care as much anymore. Um, but I do care that it has that effect that I didn't realize at the time that I'm putting myself out there so that other people can feel a little bit more safe, potentially, or have someone they can ask questions and have an understanding of maybe what it feels like to take the leap. I mean, everybody's, everybody's experience is so different though, Mm -hmm. that like, I can't pretend to know all of the, I mean, like we talk frequently in queer circles, we talk about loss, the loss of Mm -hmm. family and friends and people and, and that we don't, you know, whether it's the people that leave our lives out of choice because they don't quote unquote approve of us or, Um, people that we lose to suicide or HIV AIDS, um, although that's not as prevalent now, but that was definitely a theme at some point in the queer history. For me, showing people that there's some hope out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really, like, things haven't gone perfectly by any stretch. Life is not perfect. Mm -hmm. For me, not at all. Um, but do I feel good about myself? Absolutely. And I think that piece, like you said, of 
figuring out is it safer to come out in certain certain spaces or safer to not come out and i think so many people can really identify with that because there are pros and cons to each and you usually don't know which way it's going to stack up until you do it especially when i think of things like in work environments and things like that where you can lose a lot but then weighing out what do I lose if I hide this piece and then what is the mental strain that puts on. So I'd like to hear a little bit from you about how you've navigated that because that can be tricky. And then I know, you know, you've also shared before, like then there's that other layer of being able to not um, be outed, right? Because not all trans people even have that choice. Um, So how you've kind of navigated that because I know that could be really stressful. So that that decision for me was predicated by the, the fact that I began medical transition before I left my job. And, you know, for trans people, it's, it's this is multiple levels. So like, again, m- my experience is mine. And, and I can't speak for non-binary folks, but like generally, or trans masculine folks either. Um, but generally speaking, you know, folks who do uh, medically transition, you start a, you flip, my friend Denise said this the best, you take a, you know, like an hourglass and mm-hmm. you flip it over mm-hmm. and eventually the sand, run, the sand runs out mm-hmm. and you can't hide it anymore. And mm-hmm. so, you know, growing my hair out, um, the effects of hormones. Um, mm-hmm. I ended my tenure at my business having had worn a binder for three months because I it wasn't going to stop and I, I couldn't wear like a shirt or even an undershirt. It wasn't, nothing was holding, holding me in. And, and people were starting to like, you could, you can see the quizzical looks mm-hmm. and my hair was growing out and my features were getting softer. And, um, so there were all kinds of, and, and, and frankly, I was, I started dressing more femininely. Um, I jokingly called my wardrobe, the Ellen DeGeneres look. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, it was definitely moving along the lines of being a little bit more androgynous, you know, mm-hmm. but like androgynous preppy. Because I did, I did work in the suburbs. So. For being easier for me to, to come out in that. Well, first of all, the environment that I was working in, I didn't, I didn't think at the time I would have any ease to be able to come out. Other trans people have employers that are absolutely wonderful and um, not only are accepting and but they're embracing their trans employees they're setting up you know like a whole guidebook of how to do that at work and yeah. and in addition to that though they're also being good allies by encouraging cisgender folks to put pronouns in their in their email signatures and on their business cards mm-hmm. because then when the trans person does it it doesn't look so odd I think that one of the the biggest issues, though, is someone switches when they're trans, they're going to generally switch their gender presentation, you know, how they look. Mm-hmm. And and when someone who is queer, not trans, very cis, or falls within the acceptable norms of society for how they present themselves, you don't have to say who you're dating. And nobody really questions you. And so, like, it's still hard for them because they they know that there's a certain. I mean, I've talked to several friends. They're like, 
for the longest time, they were not at work, but but they didn't have to be. Mm-hmm. They just weren't maybe as social with their coworkers. Yeah, I was in a workspace before where I totally avoided those conversations and or just avoided pronouns and I had no idea what kind of toll it was taking on me until I got a new job that was in a queer space where I didn't have to avoid that. And all of a a sudden, I realized I could be just more relaxed in my work environment. I didn't have to hide anything. I could have casual conversation without the anxiety of wondering what kind of question they might ask me about my personal life. And until that happened, I had no idea how much stress it was actually causing me every day I showed up at work. Right. Yeah, and I got super lucky when I moved here, uh, and then when I left that job, and I was doing some freelance work, and I ended up in a space that is, I mean, I, the publisher of the Chicago Reader, where I work now, mm-hmm. um, she still owns Windy City Times, which is the gay newspaper in town, and mm-hmm. has been a huge um, advocate and ally for trans folks, among other marginalized, more marginalized groups. Um, so... You know, I, I didn't ever feel at work now, or now I don't ever feel at work like that is something that's a hindrance. I mean, I'm, she's hired me for a job that is public facing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do sales and um, I spoke on, well, she drags me to a panel here and there. <laughs> and, you know, in an official capacity, I'm there as a, as a representative of the Chicago Reader. And, you know, that mm-hmm. that's kind of a big deal to me to be, I mean, that's that goes to that whole, like, I was supposed to be anonymous, and oops, uh, <laughs> nope, not so much. But, you know, just that spirit that I know that I don't have to to worry about that. I mean, I may be the only trans person that works there, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like I am. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm part of the community of the people who work there. That's beautiful. That's I feel like that's beautiful, and that's probably really rare in a workspace to be the only person with a certain identity but not feel like that's what stands out yeah it's not it's not at all ever i I mean i i think the only time it gets brought up is if i bring it up Mm. and i don't really need to so so again you're kind of like you said you have this forward-facing face of the place you work at again and you're continuously you know, that invisibility isn't there. And I know in some ways that can feel freeing to be seen and to be able to not be invisible. And then sometimes it can be a little stressful. Yeah, it, it <laughs> certainly can. I mean, you know, so I do get made fun of. Um, one of my other identities is Leo Rising, <laughs> um, which is probably why I go do podcasts and somebody <laughs> says I'm, I'm doing an article for a paper. I say, you want to talk to me? Um, you know, it, it can be an annoying trait, um, an annoying identity at times for the people around me. And so I apologize to all of you. Um, <laughs> and uh, but it really is, you know, that that part of it. So I'm trying to figure out how can I harness this part of my personality mm-hmm. and whether or not you believe in astrology, like the definition of a Leo rising is like exactly me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, think about that, but it's, uh, I think that's part of the reason, like I feel so comfortable stretching myself out there. So maybe it's not really even that uncomfortable. 
um, for me to do that uh, and to, to put myself out there and to not be invisible. You know, maybe it's what I need to do. It still doesn't feel comfortable because I, I feel that shame. And I think if there wasn't so much shame around a couple of my identities, it would be a different story. I don't think I would be as reticent to to lean into it and um, and just to put my face out there. And I don't necessarily lead with that. I don't like go into a conversation and that's the first thing out of my mouth. I talk to people and and I'm you know sometimes we don't get to it. I don't tell them my identity. Um, any of them, you know, I probably talk about being an endurance athlete more or you know plant-based diet (laughs) um so those are probably the more annoying ones that i talk to people about yeah but the the visibility for me is important because that that allows other people to feel more comfortable doing it too yeah or feel more comfortable trying to kind of stretch themselves into trying to do that or Mm -hmm. knowing that you know someone who has similar circumstances has done something mm-hmm. has done that and you know I try to advocate too and I try to to talk to people who might otherwise not understand mm-hmm. um, and have not had it explained to them in a way that resonates with them what being trans is about mm-hmm. um, and so that that opportunity I think is almost as important to to create allies where I mean some people are just never gonna I fight on the internet on occasion and I just like slap myself in the head I'm like why <laughs> why do you do that but but yeah that just just to be out there and, and visible so that people can see that and I, I really wanted to be invisible I mean Chicago is not a New York but it's a big city mm-hmm. and I really honestly thought I, I don't know what I was thinking I mean partially thought that I would be like nobody would know me. I would just walk around on the street. Like, like I know I live in a neighborhood. I do see the same people here and there. Although Chicago, Chicagoans do move enough, but that I would just nobody would recognize me ever. Mm. And I don't know how I thought that this was going to go because I, like, I had to know at some point like I was going to have to leave my job. Mm. But I didn't have any plan for what I was going to do after it. But yeah, being anonymous in a big city was like a huge part of the draw. I think my being visible and changing that circumstance, I'm trying to let people know that it's okay to be invisible for a while because we mm-hmm. kind of need it. I mean, I it, I had some time where I was, and it was, of course, winter. I was just alone and living two lives. And mm-hmm. it's impossible. I felt impossible to be visible at that point. I just mm-hmm. felt so insecure in myself. It was right at the beginning of medical transition and social transition was only partial. Everybody in the city knew who I was as mm-hmm. as me, but you know, if I went outside the city, I didn't feel like I could be me. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was really rough. And I think another thing in your bio that feels important to give a space to is the part where you said the celebrity visibility can be really important, but then it's also important to have non-celebrity or community visibility um, so people can actually make that in-person connection, right? Because these celebrities are 
definitely providing these amazing role models we didn't used to have, this showing access to things that people never dreamed they'd have access to. Um, but there's also an importance in being able to, again, with access, access that person and access someone who um, can show you that that there is a, a way to achieve what you want to achieve and, and be able to sit down face-to-face -face with someone and have a conversation and connect. So the thing that I see, and I think I think celebrity trans folks and other queer folks who are celebrity or, or considered celebrity, I think it's important, really, really important. I mean, I don't, I don't want to denigrate that at all because that's how someone at the like macro level mm -hmm. gets to see that there are people like them exactly. and that and that's how we get the societal shift by people who are of profile mm -hmm. being out and proud and visible and um but the communication from in the in the way we connect from celebrities tends to be one-on-one, -on -one, unless you're like lucky enough to have met a celebrity that yeah. then has a dialogue with you. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's great. I, I needed that. I needed it just even something like that. And and honestly, <laughs> there's there's two there's two people that so two celebrities that I saw out in the world when I first started to, you know, with my <laughs> when I just first started to deal with this four years ago mm -hmm. was Caitlyn Jenner. Mm who I know is derided in the trans community because of political beliefs mostly. And um, and I'm not saying I agree with anything that she has to say or do, um, but just her visibility helped me. And Laura Jane Grace. Mm -hmm. And so Caitlyn Jenner was one thing. I Much bigger stage. But Laura Jane Grace was part of a band that some people who I knew really enjoyed against me. And when I saw what I thought or perceived, I don't know if it really was, but what I perceived as acceptance of her coming out and transitioning mm -hmm. by this group of my friends, and that happened before my egg cracked, as mm -hmm. we say. That happened before. and But I somehow stuffed it away in there. And like when, when that when I started to deal with my with my issues, I'm like, one of the things I had always thought was like, well, my friends are gonna hate me. Like I'm never gonna, I'm not gonna have friends anymore. And while relationships have changed, I, I still have friends. <laughs> but like her example out there was fantastic for me. But I can't connect with her. And mm -hmm. even though we live in the same city and I've seen her at the hideout performing with her new group um, like a year and a half ago, I still don't have access to her. So mm -hmm. like I've relied on other people. I've met some people through, I mean, the re part of the reason I moved into the city is someone who I met as a member of the community and still a friend of mine. Um, and she's the reason I live in the neighborhood I live in. So there's that overarching, like I can do it connection. And then there's like, well, now we got to get into details. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I do this? Like I have, I, I was, I've been able to sit down with community members right. and, you know, share a dinner and just talk about things mm -hmm. um, and how this this craziness works, right? And and so 
I think that that's what I'm trying to do is trying to be open so that I'm available as much as my energy can handle it so that people can have that mm-hmm. two-way communication yeah. instead of just the visibility for the sake of visibility. Mm-hmm. So I know there are, and there are plenty of folks out here. I mean, most of the visible celebrities that I'm aware of do a ton of advocacy work and it's like fantastic and great. And I really, mm-hmm. really like we're seeing a big, I think a big change. And I think that's why there's so much pushback uh, from people who aren't willing to make that change. I like mm-hmm. how the people view trans, trans people because of the visibility of celebs. Mm-hmm. But I think that wouldn't go as far if we didn't have that visibility of community members who are mm-hmm. mentors and helping those other folks get through this. That's a long rambling answer to your question. No, no, that that's all so important, right? Because both sides of that connection just serve a very important purpose. And um, like you said, those societal shifts we couldn't have without people being nationally, nationally, globally visible right. and succeeding. Um, because then, like you said, all those people who don't want to be a part of this shift start realizing that it's going to shift whether they're on board or not right and that pressure is going to start increasing because then as that shift happens more people feel safe and comfortable coming out and then all those people start realizing that trans people are really everywhere and you can't just silo people into you know a group of Um, people you're not going to ever meet or ever associate with. And it creates a space where people start feeling like they can be seen and start feeling like they could be Mm -hmm. visible and regaining some of that power. And then being able to form community and mentor one another and support one another and provide safe space. And it's it's weird. I mean, because I, you know, like you're talking about building community and and it's Chicago is a weird space for that. because of the general, I'm going to say queerness of the city, that I, I think the community lacks a little bit in some respects mm. because of that. Um, but I do think also that even though it has that challenge, it's still really a great area for community because it's almost intertwined with you know, queer community is intertwined with non-queer community here Mm. um, because of the number of people who are allies or Mm. even just people that don't necessarily care um, one way or the other. It's like not even a factor in Mm decision-making. So, yeah. So the community spaces, I think, have, have felt somewhat, something from that struggle um i know i'm involved in one organization and you know we'd ne- we'd like to have more attendance to mm-hmm. our events and um because we're talking about the history of you know queer history and mm-hmm. that's really important cuz that's you know you're yeah. talking about how like high profile celebrity folks can be out there and that helps move that message and change the change societal views and that can all be erased Mm. And um, so it's really important that we we honor and make sure that we enshrine and bronze so that it cannot be burned mm. our our history. Yeah, because those movements 
live on through that historical record and documentation, right? And that's, I feel like that's an interesting piece too as we move into, uh, I shouldn't even say move into, as we are now embedded in this whole technological space where things aren't on paper, things aren't being archived in the same way, pictures aren't being printed, you know, it's just such a different sense and for things to only live in this cyber way, I don't know. I'm old school. I, I like paper. I have paper planner. I have two paper planners sitting in front of me, right? Like I feel like leaving things out there, for one, it, give, it increases accessibility, but I also feel like having something tangible is a really important part of that. Right. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, that's why my friend Victor Salvo, mm-hmm. he created the Legacy Walk with some partners of his. and mm, Yeah. For those of you, the people listening not in Chicago, could you tell them just briefly in there what that is? So in Boys Town neighborhood, which is the gayborhood, for lack of a better term, there are these rainbow, I guess, they call them pylons. Um, so there's these monuments essentially lining uh, Halstead um, for several blocks. Shoot, it might even be a mile um, on both sides. And at some point, Victor... And, and whoever else he was working with. I don't, I don't know those folks. I just know Victor, um, mostly because he's the one that dragged me into this other committee, um, which is fantastic. But so because of the erasure of history, of queer history, and at the time he was going through, um, you know, it was, it was the, at the time he was starting this up or had the idea for it, it was the midst of the AIDS crisis that the community was decimated. And so it's like, we can't lose our history. And so you put up bronze plaques on each of these, on each of these pylons, and they just became historic landmarks. So now mm-hmm. they cannot be removed. And so these plaques represent different figures throughout queer history. Some people who weren't necessarily even out before they passed, but had been victims of being erased, um, or had their queerness removed from their history Mm. so and and there's you know more than just the plaques that are out there there's a traveling exhibit and there's all these different things it's a really it's a 501c3 you know if you Mm -hmm. look up legacy project you can give them money um because it's it's important to maintain that history i mean i learned about several people i had no idea or queer or that they existed and then Mm -hmm. what they did and then like what happened to them you know basically just they just got erased you know they were taken out of the books people who helped soldiers in world war ii with like Mm. care boxes as you know like just just crazy to think that could just erase people like that well i think that transitions nicely into the shameless plugs what resources things do you want people to look up because the legacy project is a really important one for people to Check out, donate if they can, like you said. What else do you want all the listeners to know about? So there's um, a couple things that I do. The Legacy Project, uh, Victor in particular, got me involved in out at CHM, which is the mm-hmm. um, LGBT programming at the Chicago History Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a good organization to check out. We do programming a couple times a year. And um, so that one, but then also I'm one of the race directors for Proud to Run. Um, mm-hmm. tying together my 
love for um, endurance athletics and athletics in general um, as a way for a positive, healthy outlet uh, for queer people um, that the Proud to Run event runs the same weekend as Pride. Mm-hmm. Last year we had 2,200 runners. Wow. But most importantly is that we raised a lot of money and distributed it to other um, LGBT charities in Chicago. Um, and so we're going to do that again this year. And everything's starting to come together. Registration very soon. It's a 5K and a 10K this year. Run, run, walk, you know, whatever. Um, we just want people out there and celebrating with us. And um, there's always a great athlete village. So that's those are like the two big things. And obviously the Chicago Reader. I mean, I wouldn't be where I'm at without um, getting that opportunity there. And then another place, you know, we were talking about celebrity mm-hmm. um, visibility, and I realize that Chicago doesn't always have the best weather, mm. and so sometimes I have to exercise inside. True, true. And so I was a member of one of those low-end uh, clubs that, you know, you pay 20 bucks a month, and um, you go in there, and it's you're just another one of the thousands of people that they sell to, and they, and they hope you don't ever show up. Mm. And um, I still didn't feel comfortable there uh, in that space, um, partially because it's so big, partially because of the gendered nature of it, um, mm-hmm. partially because I didn't feel secure in myself. Um, but I saw someone um, named Chris Mosier, who happens to be a Chicago resident, mm-hmm. um, coaching at another place. Um, and this place is called Edge Athlete Lounge, which is literally right down the street here um, from where we're recording this podcast. And it is a an amazing space for me to be able to go do my endurance athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the only reason I was able to go there is because I saw that visibility of Chris yeah. being one of the coaches there, and that told me that I would be accepted at this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only have I been accepted there, but like I like it's part of my community. I mean, endurance athletics people are are a little. We're, we're something else. And so <laughs> like we have to stick together. And, and so we have this group of like-minded folks there and I've never felt more welcome in any space, just an amazing, amazing place. So that's one of my plugs. And then like when I first quit my job, I, I, I relied on, on two um, really, really important um, spaces. One of them was um, second shift which is a co-working space in, in Logan Square. Um, after I quit, I was super depressed and trying to figure out how to find a job because I had no plan, which is not a good thing to do. But I went to the co-working space because I couldn't work in a coffee shop. Um, too much stimulus. <laughs> and um, I went there, and I was welcome there, too. Like, I mean, that's how I met a whole group of friends that I still have, and... I was able to also create allies there too because um, I was the only trans person there mm-hmm. um, at that time. And so it was really like a really formative place. And then, you know, going along the lines of like wanting to be healthy, I joined through my roommate who wasn't my roommate at the time, um, but was someone I met at Second Shift. I went to InterSense Healing Arts Collective in Avondale, um, which was very close to my house. And I was looking for a place to practice yoga. I like to do restorative yoga, some slow yoga, but then also just some other things that were there too for healing. And I got into doing tarot and I've been Reiki attuned there now, but it's like all these different things that are very, very healthy for me 
and it was a place that I just felt like I was I was just accepted for me. Mm-hmm. And so it was really, really important for me um, in that space that that I was able to find community. That's wonderful. I mean, I've got to have a ton of people that I, I don't are going to they're going to turn the music on and turn the <laughs> lights down like it's the Oscars or something. But I mean, I have a ton of people to thank and. You know all those fe- those people that I I was able to come out to first and um, yeah. just you know like I have so much to be grateful for so much to be thankful for and so many people that have helped me get to where I'm at and and supported me and endured mm-hmm. me and um, so I just have to give them all the love and thanks. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here and sharing yourself with us. I, I hope it's not too it. rambly. You know, like. Tend no, to no. go off on a tangent here and there. No. Said all the things that people, I'm sure, need to hear. So it's great. Thank I hope you. so. Thank you. Connect with Beyond Queer Stories on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Queer Stories and on Twitter at Beyond Queer Pod. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, click the link on our Facebook or Instagram page or email us at beyondqueerstories at gmail.com. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please rate us and subscribe to help boost the podcast. Our podcast music is created by B. Steadwell. Check out her music, tour dates, and other queer art at bsteadwell.com. That's B-E-S-T-E-A-D-W-E-L-L.com. Beyond Queer Stories is produced and edited by Dawn Brown and recorded in the Cards Against Humanity podcast studio in Chicago, Illinois. Check out their products at cardsagainsthumanity.com. Talk to y'all next week. Next time on Beyond Queer Stories. The car cranks. Like, I've, I've still got my key turned and the car cranks. Like, and I put it in gear, let off the clutch, and I floored it. And I went around the car and the joggers helping him. And I pointed it at the gunman and I drove as, I just floored it. He got into his car and closed the door about the time I hit the door and I just pushed him down the parkway.